This is Joe Bob Briggs, and you're listening to Chewing the Scenery, the horror movie podcast. Stay off the moors. Welcome to another exciting episode of Chewing the Scenery Horror Movie Podcast. We are back talking about movies of the past and present. There will be spoilers ahead, as always, on anything older. And we are your hosts. I'm Richard. I'm here with Will. Hello. And Jolian. Hello. Um, we're all illustrators. I think we could just cut, cut that back down <laughs> yeah. from the lengthy explanation. Uh, when we do get an actual website, little bios and... We'll draw pictures of ourselves. All right. All right. Um, thank you, as always, to the Moonrays for providing us with intro creature features at the top of every show. And we will sometimes play music from them at the end of the show. You can find them at themoon-rays.com. Please do support them. They're a great band. Now, at the end of this episode, uh, we're going to outro with a band called The Living Deads. And you'll know why in a second, or you'll know why if you read the title of this episode. Uh, the Living Deads, I knew them from Denver originally, and now they're pretty much living on the road, driving an RV. Uh, they're a really cool couple, Randy and Symphony. Good-looking couple of people who quote-unquote kidnap a guitar player in every city they're going to play in. So they're uh, playing upright bass and drums and doing the vocals. They are awesome. Do check them out. Um, we're going to be playing a song called Shit Men Say to Symphony. And she is very attractive, so, you know, they're going to say stupid things to her. But uh, I was thinking of just using the chorus of the song, but the whole song is so cool. We're going to play it. Uh, so thanks to the Living Deads. Let's get to it. What have you watched since last time, Will? Um, well, I watched the final season of Netflix's Hemlock Grove, which we call pork chop hollow or ham hock hollow uh, it's a terrible terrible uh horror series it's netflix answer to uh true blood and whatnot oh, no. there's a vampire there's a werewolf oh, my. um it's actually almost take... a compelling show <laughs> and clearly i watched all of it um i've watched all three seasons but it's not good that's that's what I've heard, which really <clears throat> that takes me off guard that you've actually watched this thing. I've watched all of them. <laughs> oh, man. I also watched Ant-Man this week, which was pretty good. Not a horror movie, but... Um, How was it? I enjoyed it. They could have cut some parts out. All those movies are too long, but... Anything superhero that could usually yeah. boil it down Everything nowadays needs an editor, I find... Uh, we have shorter attention spans, but our movies have gotten longer. Now, how does that make sense? Is that it? Have you seen anything else? Um, not that I can remember. I know what I saw a couple other things, but... Did, did you watch anything on Halloween? 
I know that you were going to go see Nosferatu. Oh, yes. And it was off. The, oh, the, the sync cues. Was off. He was live, but he, I don't think he was paying attention. So all his cues were like a second or two off. And it kind of ruined the film. No. Oh, so man. I went home and watched it. Uh, so that was good. What did, I don't think we watched anything for Halloween. I went to a party. And uh, I hadn't been to one in a long time. The former co-worker of ours. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite Halloween party moments, when I first moved to Denver over 10 years ago, um, I threw a Halloween party. And uh, I remember that you came dressed as the devil version of yourself. And yes. uh, I had asked you ahead of time, what was your favorite cocktail? Because I always have an open bar if I'm throwing a party. And uh, you said you like the blue stuff that the combs are in at the barbershop? Yep. <laughs> Barbicide. So, yes. So you remember I had a cocktail especially ready for you called the yes. Barbicide? Yes. And what was this? Was I think it had a comb in it. <laughs> it had a comb in it. Um, I only hire the best bartenders. Oh, yeah. It was an awesome party <clears throat> as well. I don't remember what it tasted like. Uh, it was not good. Yeah. What is it? I know it was blue curacao. <laughs> yeah. It looked fantastic. But are, no, it was it was not a tasty beverage. No. Just like the real Barbicide. Yeah. When they, when they used to have the uh, Hollywood parties uh, around Denver, um, uh, one year I went as uh, Dr. Moreau, you know, ah, from uh, from the island, I- island of Dr. Moreau. Uh, and uh, in, in the novel, he, he drinks a specific cocktail. I think it was a highball. So I was ordering those all night. <laughs> open bar. <clears throat> and how did that do for you the next day? <laughs> he, he tried to play God. <laughs> it did yeah. not end well for any of them. Well, Emily went as a panther woman, the Lota, oh. from, from Ireland of Lost Souls. She looked great. Um, and I got chatted up by a Herbert West. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, Jeffrey Combs. Do you remember the Hollywood parties? I never went to them. I know about them. Yeah, they, they were thrown by these, these two guys who'd um, come up with the cork program, and they, so they were just loaded. And they used to, like, rent circuses to come up from Florida, and they'd have the, the parties would be in the tents, or they'd, they'd rent an old uh, theater and hold them in there. I went in there, and... You know you have to stay in character, and uh, so there I was walking around as Doctor Moreau, and uh, I saw a, a guy with a yeah you know, this like glowing fluid strapped to his belt, and a and a zombie cat <laughs> on his leg, and uh, so I went up to him, and said, oh, Doctor West, I presume, and he was just so delighted I'd uh, recognised him that he like kissed me on the lips, and uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, that was great. Yeah, you know all, all the inhibitions of. Have gone out the window. Well, those, those Hollywood parties are ninety percent gay. Oh, okay. So there was a yeah. good, there was a good chance someone was going to kiss yeah. you on the lips anyway. There was lots of uh, very underdressed Batman and Robin. Oh, couples yeah. there. I had a very underdressed um, Phantom of the Opera, if you remember, Will. Was, oh yes, I do. Yeah, he was he was a realtor. It's all coming back, <laughs> flooding back. <laughs> yeah, when he. Flipped the cape back. He was not wearing much more <laughs> underneath it. Okay, like enough a about purple thong. <laughs> it was on on like... uh, Halloween this year. I didn't go to uh, went to a pumpkin carving party the week before, but uh, Halloween night we went to see Crimson Peak and uh, the the Guillermo del Toro. Right. How film. was it? It's really pretty. Yeah, it's great to watch. You know, it's probably the prettiest ghost movie I've seen in a long time. 
Um, and if you're into like Barber and Argento and Hammer and all those a- AP movies from the 60s, it's really good. Kind Excellent. of Kind of, um, uh, I think they're going for this like classical gothic uh, feel to it, but it, it kind of misses the mark, especially towards the end. It kind of goes for Daphne du Maurier, but it ends up as Friday the 13th, part two. <laughs> <laughs> you, she, she's like armed with this uh, it's a shovel instead of a pitchfork, but she looks just like um, Amy Steele at the end of Friday the 13th, part two. Oh my. All right. but, uh, which, uh, which I like, but I don't think it's what they were going for. No. Um, I watched Dr. Blood's Coffin a few times. Um, it's an upcoming issue of Monster Magazine, and uh, and it's a zombie special. And uh, so I wrote about Dr. Blood's Coffin, which is a British zombie movie from 1960. And I uh, also watched a Disney cartoon called Lonesome Ghost, 1937, with Mickey Mouse and Goofy and uh, Donald. They go oh, to yes. a, the Ghostbusters who go to this house. Uh-huh. I remember uh, that one. And uh, yeah, it's the one where Goofy says, uh, I ain't afraid of no ghosts. Mm. Yeah. Copyright violation. I'm surprised uh, Disney didn't. Uh, do they own the the company that put out Ghostbusters? I, I don't think they did. No, not at that point. <laughs> no, well, they probably um, own them and everyone else. Yeah, now. I don't think you can catch a you know trademark a catchphrase like that. I also and it's watched uh, Moraturus, which is an Italian. Uh, it's about the zombie gladiators from 2011. Sounds I would not weird. recommend that at all. Oh. Um, yeah, I did not like that. I can break it down for you, but um, we need to move on. <laughs> I, I, I tried to find um, where that Mobsters versus Killer Car thing was that we've been talking about. Mm. It might be there's this episode of Kolchak uh, called the Trevi Collection. Okay. Uh, where at one point there's a car that's after these mobsters. That may mm. be. I'm I'm glad you're still looking into that. I've completely <laughs> okay, forgotten, but <laughs> the investigation is not complete yet. So, anything else you saw since last time? Um, not horror wise. I saw Frida, which is um 2002 Julie Taymor film. Uh, it's got and it's got uh Brothers Key animation for one of the dream sequences. Oh yeah. And I saw Decline of Western Civilization Part Three. Oh, wow. I've not seen part three. Uh, don't bother, really. It's, <laughs> it is pretty dull. Which is part three? Uh, it's about gutter punks hanging out in LA. Oh, okay. Um, and the, the music's pretty boring. And, okay. and it's from 1998. Oh. Um, and then the end tune is, uh, it sounds just like uh, this Iron Maiden track called To Tame a Land. I, <laughs> I don't know if that was a comment on, on the rest of the... Uh, the film but anyway and uh, i saw this really good western called robin hood of el dorado uh 1936 um about uh joaquin murieta um this guy who's driven to become an outlaw he's, he's an actual character yeah it's really good kind of a prefigures uh sam peck and par it's pretty brutal at the end are, are you a fan of westerns yeah Okay. Um, have you heard much about Bone Tomahawk? No. Oh, that's supposed to be a really good one. Um, it's got Kurt Russell in it. Um, I am completely drawing a blank on who directed it, so I'm not going to pretend I know. But it's supposed to be really good from everything okay. I've heard. It's like, I guess somewhere between 80 and 90% Western, but it's got a horror bent to it. Mm-hmm. So 
that's something I want to look into. I know it's available VOD, and uh, that's on my to-watch list. Um, did we get through all your just recently watched? Yeah, I think so. Well, mine, pretty simple. Um, I was at a horror convention Halloween weekend, knowing I was going to be in the same room as Bob Elmore, who, mm. um, although he's not credited exactly as such, he played Leatherface in Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2. And uh, so I, I rewatched it, and uh, it's pretty silly. He does some good work, and uh, I did get to interview him. I asked him. He's a very nice man. Um I, I got an interview with him. So we have about between 15 and 20 minutes with him that we will be running soon. And uh, also spoke with Joe Bob Briggs and specifically asked him. He was a master of ceremonies at the convention. I asked him specific questions about Night of the Living Dead, knowing that we were going to be talking about it. So we'll roll that interview, probably post it separately. But he he's so knowledgeable and so funny. People who may not be familiar with him, he had a show on TNT called Monster Vision where he was your TV host talking about these sort of drive-in quality movies kind of B-movies and he's so funny so smart and knowledgeable um, and he he plays this good old boy character it's his persona that he plays mm-hmm. but he's a college educated man who didn't he have a another uh, movie show before that wasn't there I remembered it being called movies. yeah I remembered it being called At the Drive-In with Joe yeah, Bob Briggs it was that's co- it it was something like that and uh, it was great to watch yeah I read his book the, the collection of his articles but uh, I've not I've, I've seen a few of his Monsterama yeah. episodes yeah yeah they're great um, so he was he was very gracious about um, putting time aside for media and uh, it was great he had a lot of good things to say about the state of filmmaking when Night of the Living Dead was made, in uh, it was filmed in 1967. It's not, doesn't sound kind to say this, but the state of things now isn't as good as it should be for how affordable it can be to make a movie. There should be more good stuff out there. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's pretty blunt about saying so, which is great, because I think people should hear that and up their game a little bit. You know, if you can buy a camera for what it used to cost to rent a camera in 1967 if you could own one that has a way sharper picture and you can do all your editing on your desktop computer mm-hmm. why shouldn't your stuff be better and he, he he does talk a good bit about that but um well i would think it's just more movies means more crap <laughs> <laughs> yeah the, the, the percentage of good stuff should go up i think is what he was trying to say about it oh but um it hasn't apparently uh, outside of um, watching Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2 and uh, being prepared to interview Bob Elmore, um, who did all the stunts and basically was the guy you saw on screen for most of it, even though another actor was credited as being Leatherface, uh, I did watch the rest of uh, Dracula and I did watch Tales of Halloween, which was oh, great was fun. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I want to see that. Most of the stories were pretty good. A few of them weren't as good as others. But uh, I enjoyed yep. it, and I would recommend it to anyone. Because mm-hmm. everybody says, oh, yeah, I always watch, you know, Tales from the Dark Side, Trick or Treat, these movies that are kind of anthologies. But this is this is the new one. This is the one that goes into rotation now. Okay. So shall we talk about Night of the Living Dead? Sure. Ooh. Why not? Our feature is original versus remake. Okay. We're not necessarily having a fight to the death with these two movies, because that would just result in reanimation and... 
flesh eating anyway, so <laughs> why bother? Um, initial uh, uh, thoughts about the movie, Will? What's your personal history with this movie? Uh, I've seen the original a zillion times. Um, not always all the way through, but I've seen it a lot. The uh, uh, 1990 version, uh, I think I enjoyed a little more, but I've only seen it maybe two or three times. How old were you when you first saw the 1968 original? Um, I'd say probably third to fifth grade, somewhere in there. Pretty early. Yeah, it was... Uh, I've watched a lot of things. I had very lenient parents when it came to what I could watch. Um, back back in the day when it first came out, there was no uh, uh, restriction on who could go into a theater, and, and a lot of horror movies went out in the afternoons as matinees. Yes. And so Night of the Living Dead got paired with like Doctor Who and the Daleks and uh, oh. things like that. So you had, you had like uh, seven or eight-year-olds <laughs> seeing this movie. that <laughs> must have been pretty traumatic nightmares for weeks it's interesting um roger ebert you know did a little write-up on that and he did he did say that uh there were children in the matinee mm-hmm. and he just couldn't believe the horror that was being unleashed on them and uh, how traumatizing it would be for them he, he was pretty troubled by what he saw you know children sitting there crying mm-hmm. <laughs> leaving the theater just distraught yeah so it, it made an impression, and, and it did, uh, by today's terms, quote-unquote, go viral uh, as far as how well it made the rounds, got distributed, especially overseas. And there was the fateful moment when, of course, they noticed that the little Circle C was missing. Yes. <laughs> I was going to say, how did the fact that it's in the public domain help it uh be seen well it helped it get seen a lot and initially a lot of money came in but after a certain point people were just freely copying and and distributing and showing the movie on their own without having to pay anything to the makers of the film or the or the distribution company so that's that was the big fumble that occurred at the beginning was night of the flesh eaters was retitled night of the living dead and the Circle C got left off of the title. And there was nothing at the end of the film saying it was copyrighted. Wow. Yeah. It's it's a, a moment in history that I imagine George Romero wishes he could have back for a redo. Yeah, but I'm saying maybe it wouldn't have become as popular if uh, it hadn't become so. Because I know that's where I saw it was some crap videotape that, you know... Quality was just terrible. Quality was terrible. It looked like they taped it off TV that was already on a bad tape. Yeah, Um, a lot of copies of copies of copies of copies. Whereas if they had held on to the copyright, it may have not been as popular. I think it's a neat movie. I think uh, it's great show it, what you can do for a low-budget movie. Um but I think just the general public, if you didn't know that, if you just watched that movie, it's pretty low grade. It doesn't look like a like a high quality production. I mean, everybody making it clearly cared a great deal about it, but they didn't really have they the had means no money, or the budget, yeah. right? Which which I think served them well because then they were forced to uh, 
you know, have everybody trapped in a house. Right. Um, Good use of location for sure. Yeah. So, Jolien, what's your personal um, history with this movie? Where did you first see it? Um, what did you think? Uh, I think I was an adult before I saw it. Um, it just didn't show up in England uh, legitimately. Um, and I couldn't rent the videos until I was older. And um, I think I saw Dawn of the Dead first, the uh, heavily cut British release of <laughs> Zombie Dawn of the Dead. And, I, uh, I believe I saw Dawn of the Dead before I saw yeah. uh, Night of the Living Dead. And I, I, I definitely read a lot about it um, before I ever saw it. But uh, yeah. I love that back before the internet. And when everything was, everything's so available, but, you know, uh, you'd have to read about a movie. Mm -hmm. But I remember reading a whole bunch about heavy metal because it was never going to be seen anywhere near my town. It's a total midnight feature. It is interesting how things back in the day would gain notoriety or, um, you know, whatever kind of reputation yeah, playground word of mouth Inf yes. infamy or notoriety mm -hmm. or a little of both yeah for sure and for me i think i was fairly grown up i was probably in my late teens by the time i saw it and uh i remember being very impressed and of course at the same time wondering why at that year it was filmed in black and white and then of course these things unfold as you read magazines like fangoria <laughs> you start learning more about the how and why of, of movies and their being made, how they were made, by whom, and for what kind of budget. Do you know what the budget was on this? You know, I have it written down. Um, Just curious. I it was not a lot of money. I think it was 114000 I know it was 114000 and some change, so let's just round it up, round it off, whatever. 114000 and I think it made like $30 million? On yeah. its first outing before everybody started copying. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. It made a lot of money, much of it overseas. And I think that's where the first um, incidences of noticing it was not under copyright and it started getting duped to death. I think uh, one of the streaming copies of it, because I did want to do a rewatch and take some notes on an iPad. So I looked at Amazon Video and it didn't look as good as my DVD by any means. I mean, a lot of the highlight stuff was blown out. You know, there was just detail lost in a lot of the filming that I don't think was originally the the print. Hmm. No, I imagine they still have, you know, terrible prints out there. Yeah, I think, the, the, yeah, there's another remastering in, process, in progress right now. There is, yeah. Um, Martin Scorsese yeah. is behind that one, which he is a a big advocate of preserving film and he personally has a huge collection of film and so that restoration is probably going to be especially with the um the nine minutes of footage they found this will be the most complete most high quality most restored version of it anyone could ever ask for so the movie um to kind of recap we get this footage of a car we're talking about the original here not the remake um well that's the same in the remake yeah yeah, it I mean, is. the remake is really close. It's really close, except for, you'll notice, um, there's just sort of a little back-and-forth conversation about the inconvenience of going up to the cemetery. That's the conversation that's taking place in the car with Johnny and Barbara, who we find out are a uh, 
brother and sister pair. In the remake, um, Johnny does the uh, coming to get you Barbara line in the car before they even get to the spot where they're going to park and get out. Now, did you notice? I didn't notice that. Okay, yeah, that, that definitely does happen. Um, I know the conversation was pretty much the same. Those super sharp driving gloves were the same. Uh-huh. I don't know if those are isotoners. you, you got to have that. you got to have the glasses and the driving gloves if, if you're going to have Johnny in your movie. He's got to be recognizable later on, hasn't he? Yes, yes. for sure. You've got to have at least one of those two things on him if you're going to recognize him coming through the, the boarded-up windows and doors. Uh, did you notice who played Johnny in the remake? No, I did not. Bill Mosley. Who is? Well, have you seen Devil's Rejects? Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's that terrible... He's a uh, chop top in TCM2. Yes. Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2. He's the one with the... He loses his Sonny Bono wig, and then you see his metal plate showing through. Oh, okay. I think he's, yeah. in, he's in most Rob Zombie films, isn't he? Yeah, I think Rob just kind of has him on retainer. <laughs> and and he, uh, he just did a film uh, with uh, Kane Hodder called uh, Old 37. I've heard about this. It came out a month or so ago. Like a, it's a ambulance horror movie. Yeah, these guys who who kind of uh, dart in and pick people up where they would be going to the hospital and now they're not. Oh, okay. I think that's the kind I of I thought thing. maybe they were trapped in a haunted ambulance. <laughs> what a great movie that would be. <laughs> Why aren't you writing movies, Will? Uh, I really should be writing movies. Um, ambulance horror movies are a whole thing in Indonesia. Are really? It's a subgenre, yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, I wonder why that is. Well, maybe we'll find out someday. The scene going to the cemetery, we, you know, we have all the groundwork laid for, like, they're far from home, and they're on this mission to, um, they've been tasked with putting a uh, flower arrangement of some sort on someone's grave. We do find out later it's their father, who apparently has been dead for most of their lives, uh, I have a note here. Barbara is a square and a warrior, and Johnny is mischievous and seems like a lot of fun. I want to party with this guy. You know, I'm thinking. You know, he just has his way. He's kind of a little brother. Yeah, he's he's he is. Annoying. But he seems like separate from his family. If he's just around his friends, you know, it's like yeah, yeah. he's the guy that brings the cool records. <laughs> you know, all you need is a case of Iron City beer because you know it's Pittsburgh. The guys who wear those gloves have. Have, have a good cocktail set at home you know yeah i could whatever was cool in johnny's day he he had that he going was into on it. yeah that, that's what it seems like but um uh, when you see it the second time you realize that uh this is the first of the uh this, this movie kind of sets up taboos that you find in every other horror movie that's gone before it and knocks them down pretty methodically so you have this couple but they're not boyfriend and girlfriend yeah brother and sister right they don't like each other they yes. argue with each other which is like a cliche now but back in the right. day it was not so yeah it's like and he a, dies immediately yeah yeah so he's <laughs> he, he comes to a rescue and gets killed and yeah which you know doesn't look as snazzy in the 90 remake um it's Pretty clearly a mannequin of sorts, and, oh, they, and, which is weird because Tom Savini was directing. He's right there. Mm-hmm. I, uh, you'd think the special effects people would be like, hey, Tom, what do you think? Of... Dude, redo that. I didn't you think know? it was bad. I thought um, it was a pretty good shot. Yeah. I don't know. It looked, um, it looked a little stiff to me. He was very stiff, but I was more shocked by, you know, the fact that his head caves in when he <laughs> hits that rock. 
Whereas yeah. the original, um, it's not clear at first if he's just knocked out or dead. The line, they're coming to get you, Barbara. You notice he says that in sort of a mock Boris Karloff voice. Right. Mm-hmm. You want to know what else was, I don't know, would the word be Karloffian? Karloff-esque? Karloffian. <laughs> Karloffian. That's a that's a word that's now. That's a word, yeah. Okay. That's a, that's a t-shirt. <clears throat> yeah. So what else is Karloffian in this scene is Bill Hinsman, who plays, and I had to find out that it was Heinzman or Hinsman, but it's I guess it's pronounced Hinsman, um, who plays the cemetery zombie, uh, modeled his his jerky uh, walking style after a Boris Karloff movie, which he could not remember which one it was. So huh. yeah, it wasn't Frankenstein, I don't think. No. No, I think he would remember a thing like that. Um, Bride of Frankenstein. Of course, it's the original. <laughs> the uncle of Frankenstein, <laughs> or the son. Is the ghoul. He was like uh, a zombie in that. Maybe it wasn't yeah. the ghoul. They throw the word ghoul around a lot in uh, older movies, don't they? Yeah, yeah, that's that's what he calls the zombies in the yeah in the yeah the ghouls films, in this one. Yeah. Well, I wonder when when the the zombie part came up. Yeah. The the modern ghoul zombie, not the voodoo. Well, this was one of the earlier instances of something that wasn't voodoo related. If not, was this the first instance I of this, Jolien? Thought that you know? was the case. Uh, well, uh, I happened to have done an article in Doctor Blood's coffin, so I looked it up, and uh, yeah, I'm, in the in the fifties, you have all these people who are who are basically zombified, um, but it's by aliens and brain transplants and, and things oh, like sure. that. Even Plan um, 9 had that, didn't so it? So the voodoo thing had been big in the 30s and, well, not big, but uh, in, in films like White More Zombie. More popular. And uh, I Walked With a Zombie in the 40s. Uh, you had like the classic voodoo zombie, uh, which is not necessarily a dead person brought back to life. Yeah. Um, and they're not brain eaters. No. No, that no, came about in uh, 1985, didn't it's it? It's a spiritual enslavement. Right, so uh, which um, is, I mean, um, but that is scarier than being just a dead person coming back to life in Haiti, because of the history of slavery there. Mm-hmm. You could always look at, well, at least I died. <laughs> if I die from this, I'll be free. But if you're a spiritual slave, that's pretty awful. Yeah, yeah. That's um, like working in retail. Yeah. So, so Dr. Blood's Coffin was like another scientific one. And then uh, then there was Plague of the Zombies, which is a really good uh, Hammer film. And that was voodoo. Um, but being used by rich white people. Yeah, that's usually where it goes wrong. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, um, after the Romero film, they all became quasi scientific. Uh, like the voodoo zombie one pretty much died out, as it were. Yeah. There was like a really good Wes Craven film called uh, Serpent and the Rainbow. With I it. love that movie. Yeah, it's more traditional. I got the book. It's nowhere near like the movie. No? No. Oh, uh, the first part of the book is... The account of the guy who actually went there. Yeah, yeah uh, Wade Davis, I believe mm-hmm. is his name. Yeah, it's, uh, it's an interesting... Uh, juxtaposition between reading the book and seeing the movie and seeing how yeah. Wes Craven turned it into a horror movie and really right. uh, focused on the zombie zombification mm-hmm. at the end. Yeah, I think that's one of Craven's best 
Yeah. My favorite of his is People Under the Stairs. Think about that, that is a perfect um, snapshot of the Reagan era. <laughs> era. I, I really like a Deadly Blessing. Okay, yeah. yeah. Anyway. Yeah, sure. Okay, so we've we've got this um, this shambling zombie. We have this attack on Barbara, who's trying to be polite and not really moving out of the way too much. She doesn't want to offend the man who may have heard them teasing and talking. So she's sort of sort of going to say hello, but the man attacks her. Johnny comes to her rescue, ends up getting conked in the head in both versions. The results are the same. Johnny is killed in the fight, and Barbara needs to make a run for it. In the original, she sees there are no keys in the car, quickly locks the doors, and here's a little something I call ghouls using tools. Uh, which you will you will hear criticism if this ever happens in other horror movies or other zombie movies, but here we are, the the flagship original zombie movie of its sort, Night of the Living Dead, and we've got the Bill Hinsman Cemetery zombie picking up a rock and smashing the window. Yeah, they they, they pick up bits of furniture and stuff all the way through this. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, if they happen to grab the thing that's nearest them, then there's no cognitive, uh, you know, use of a tool, but. It's like, oh, look, there's a rock. I'm going to pick it up. I'm going to smash something with it. That's ghouls using tools. Now, I do point out that that happens more than once in this. You're, you're coming up with lots of t-shirt ideas. This, uh, you this know, time. I can't help it. That's <laughs> part of how my brain works. Um, now, Barbara manages to coax the lever, which I don't think would really work with the keys missing. But she coaxes the lever into neutral and ghost rides the car downhill to crash against a tree momentarily away from danger. Well, they, they kind of wrote that in because the uh, uh, this was owned by... Russell's mom. Yeah, and she dented the car. Yes, and so, <laughs> so then they, they had to in. write that in. Yeah, so, yeah, she conveniently crashes it against a tree. So she, she doesn't get a credit as stunt mom. No, she should. So uh, now Barbara makes a run for it barefoot, Finds the har the um. She's played by Judith O'Day, by the way. Yes, Judith O'Day, who who very handily, um, plays this, <laughs> this traumatized inept character. Uh, she makes a run for it barefoot, finds the farmhouse, and takes refuge inside. These are perhaps her last moments of being resourceful, I I think. Um, after this, she's a bit of a mess, mm -hmm. maybe rightfully so. Yeah, I would be. I would think I would be too. <laughs> In the remake, interesting thing, it's not um, Bill Mosley's mom's car, but Savini's personal yes. car <laughs> that, that gets wrecked for real. It was the first nice car he bought when he started making money. I think it was a BMW. And, uh, yes. Yeah. It's a nice Beamer. It's like, you think he could have... really wrapped that around the tree. And they... <laughs> they wanted to make it a little more impactful, can yeah. I say? In, in the remake... Um, Opening credits are, are happening during this. Uh, Barbara escapes handily. But the credits start rolling during this, and, and we can see that all of our boys from 1968 original Night of Living Dead are getting paid, um, including Russell Streiner, uh, who, who plays Johnny in the original. It's nice to see that because we know that there were a lot of opportunities to make money that got ruined by that missing Circle C. Barbara gets in the house, and it's creepily empty in the remake. Um, blood dripping from upstairs and there's this Tor Johnson looking guy in bib overalls and uh, he ends up um, taking her over the railing because she's gone upstairs and more of them start creeping in 
And you pretty much figure, well, she's in a bad spot. And then, bam, Tony Todd comes in. And he's he's got the truck, a crowbar, he's smoking a cigarette. He's got those giant Tony Todd hands. And uh, this is even before Candyman. And he just, like... Yeah, and this is his first uh, Night of the Living Dead remake. Right. Yeah, it is. His first of many. Uh, he takes out a zombie with his Chevy truck. Uh, now, Barbara's lost her big googly 80s glasses, and she looks much nicer without the glasses. Yes, uh, Patricia Tolman. Yes, who went on to... Uh, Babylon 5. Yes. Army of Darkness, Monkey Shines, Night Riders, Star Trek... Tales from the Dark Side. I knew you'd have this list. (laughs) (laughs) I I thought she was great. Uh, Yes. I did too. And she just gets better looking like every step of the way. It's like, oh, she's got to change out of these frumpy clothes. When when she does her uh, her speeches where she puts all the men in their place, she's she's great. Oh, yes. Yeah. She's got this nice little pixie haircut. I thought it was Molly Ringwald. (laughs) (laughs) And she ends up making out with somebody by the end of the movie, but not the one you expected. Um, Now, in the original to toggle back over to that one ben also arrives in a truck like a badass and this is Dwayne jones mm. now there's a bunch of background and we can spend a few minutes on um now or later but we'll just say he takes charge he comes in the house he's looking for supplies and safety he's got good ideas and clearly barbara has checked out she doesn't really respond when he's asking what's going on with this house he, he assumes maybe she lives there uh she sort of becomes useless for the rest of the movie except you know at this point she screams what is happening now before we come back around to ghouls using tools a second time um Dwayne jones he was cast as ben mm-hmm. which was written as what kind of guy yeah, he was a truck driver wasn't he yeah originally i think he was and then Dwayne jones wanted to uh, make him more intellectual right to suit himself because he himself uh, was described as an intellectual mm-hmm. Now, in no version of the original writing was he described as a black man nope. with any political uh, or social leanings one way or the other. Now, people would read into this a lot. I mean, you, you know, and you would read into it when, from watching the film. Especially in, yeah, given mean, the 1968 um, yeah. time frame. And, and yeah. This was made over quite a long period, so uh, I, you know, I bet the cast and crew sat around talking about such things. Well, the bottom line, though, is it's originally written as just a guy who takes charge, who's kind of a badass. Yeah. And people would read into this like, well, oh, he, you know, he's treated this way because he's black or he does this thing because he's black. And it turns out, no, Dwayne Jones just played it the way he thought it would play best. And he played it um, within the confines of how it was directed by Romero and written by Romero and Russo. It was uh, it was pretty just straight off the page for the most part and yeah but but you know watching the watching the film especially around 1968 and you know you've got all the uh, uh civil rights uh things going on on tv right I mean, you couldn't watch the end of night of the living dead without thinking of those things you know this guy being hunted down by rednecks with with uh german shepherds right and think uh, uh this is what was on the news at the yeah. time and um and George Romero, of course, uh, <laughs> I watched a, um, a documentary called Birth of the Living Dead. And it's it's a really good documentary. Uh, I believe that's on Netflix. Yeah. Um, and it basically, they flat out said, 
Dwayne Jones was hired for his skill as an actor and mm-hmm. his personality. Yeah. The character of Ben was not assigned a description of race. Right. Romero said, and I quote, it was in the script before the guy was black. And uh, Dwayne Jones did respond to some of this saying, because he was very sensitive about you know, how, how some of the stuff that happens in the movie, you know, what it could mean to racial tensions in the U.S. at the time. Uh, Dwayne Jones responded to some of these, um, you know, in conversation with Romero as saying, yes, but he is black now. Mm-hmm. So he did have some of this in mind as he's playing the character. And of course, Romero, I also can quote from the documentary, said, we thought we were being really hip by not changing the script. <laughs> <laughs> but then he said later on that maybe they should have explored explored it more. Maybe they could have made some really good points. And well... I don't think they missed a lot of opportunities because people got thinking th- about it anyway. I think that it uh, it works better this way. I mean, yeah, it doesn't I mean, get preachy at all, does it? Is it yeah. It's not preachy. It's not. I mean, the very end is they've. I mean, obviously, it's a little more political than the kind of ironic turn and it really is in the end of the the Savini remake. Yeah, they definitely switched up what, what happened to the characters. Um, now, to get back to the 1968 original, um, the ghouls using tools. Right outside, uh, a bunch of zombies surround the truck that Ben rolled in on, and they're smashing the headlights with rocks, which get magically restored later. Oh, didn't they? I did they, not they had notice. two different trucks they had used. One that they could smash up and burn, and another one that maybe they shouldn't. Now, were the ghouls light-sensitive? I think... I thought about that, Is too. Is that what they were going for? I think they were like, hey, these bright lights are really bothering us the same way that fire does. Yeah. So, um, Ben dispatches a few of them before heading back in. Some of them tried to follow. Uh, one of them gets in and almost gets Barbara. And I have a note here that his expression on his face kind of looks like Pee Wee Herman. <laughs> Is, isn't <laughs> it, that that zombie's knee played by Carl Hardman? Oh no, that one is the, um, the John one that Russo. When it gets hit in the head. Oh, that's John Russo. John okay. Russo, who I was fortunate to meet at Flashback Weekend in Chicago just this past summer in August. And if I'm not paying somebody a bunch of money for an autograph, I'll usually try to use very little of their time to just you know tell them how great their stuff was. But uh, I told him that it's impressive that they actually saw this through and made this movie and he said well it's what we really wanted to do and we couldn't see anything else but seeing it through finishing it and we did whatever it took Mm. which i thought was really cool and i got that straight from john russo himself and then it's back to scavenging and planning and he's all about boarding up this joint and he asked barbara to go find boards he specifically says go find boards so she wanders dazed through the house and there's these taxidermied heads on the wall and she comes back with kindling from the fireplace. And I have a note here, fucking sticks. <laughs> he gives her an easier task asking her to sort nails, uh, picking out the longer ones. And here's where Ben says, they're afraid of fire. I found that out. And he tells her the story about the mayhem he witnessed at Beekman's Diner. <clears throat> tells her about this gas truck chase as he's disassembling the dining table. He describes it as a moving bonfire, and he says, I can still hear them screaming, or I could still hear the man screaming. And here's where we first get those things. Those things were just backing away from it. Now, 
I don't want to take this too far off track, but let's talk about if you were to have a Night of Living Dead drinking game. Those things. Now, you notice later on in the movie, Harry, uh, Harry Cooper says, those things out there. He says those things so many times. I started thinking, I should make a drinking game out of this. It turns out the words, I don't want to ruin this, so skip forward about 20, 30 seconds. If you want to have the Night of Living Dead drinking game, you're going to look for the words ghoul or ghouls, those things or these things, it's mostly those things, pump, and murder or murderer. Okay? Those are the words. Those are your drinking game words. Now, skip forward if you don't want to hear how many times they were used. Ghoul or ghouls, six times. I thought it would be more. Those things was used 20 times if you count the one where Johnny refers to the floral arrangement. Pump is used eight times. Murder or murderer or murderers, 20 times. So the biggest difference here, Ben gets inside the house with Barbara, is that in the remake, Barbara is this really strong survivor type character. He shows up and asks, got any shotguns in there? Hunting rifles? Anything? Of course, you know, this is America. Of course there's some guns. Yeah. You know, we've established this from prior movies. Uh, they head inside. Tony Todd dispatches a zombie with a kick and a frying pan. Yes, and that, that's sort of like a classic Savini uh, setup for how to use a weapon in a movie. Establish that it's real. Establish that it's real. So he, like when he swings back, it takes out bit of the door frame right and then cut to the fake one clobbering the actor that and that works so well it's so believable when you see it barbara gets the tor johnson looking one with a bib overall gets him with a fireplace poker so i see where sean of the dead referenced some more material okay when we've got this run over zombie who's twisted up in this impossible pose and twitching and then of course the tony todd ben uh finishes him with a crowbar and uh which, of course, you described as the Charlton Heston moment, where he starts yelling, God damn you! God damn all of you! And they pull back, and we see the Statue of Liberty base uh, buried. It's a zombie. (laughs) Zombie Statue of Liberty buried in the ground, partway buried. Uh, He crosses himself like a Catholic. Barbara starts to and then kind of stops, like sort of embarrassed of herself for having done it. Um, Ben says that they need to hole up, fight back hard, and uh, it's apparent that it's time to fortify the place. The stuff about the radio, Ben says, the radio is all trash talk, and they don't know shit. He's talking about uh, these good old boys trying to round them up in trucks. Ben tells stories of what he saw out there. Bad stuff. He goes on about uh, finding guns, heads upstairs to investigate this blood dripping, and there's the suicide guy with the rifle. So now they've got a rifle. There's a zombie creeping up on Barbara. The basement dwellers, Harry Cooper and Tom, Judy Rose, Helen Cooper, and Sarah Cooper are still in the basement, so this place is not empty. Harry argues that Ben should just leave and that all of them should get in the cellar. Uh, Yeah, I wondered who owned this house. Uh, In the original? In the original, like, was it the cemetery caregiver, you know... uh, in the caretakers Savini, in the Savini one you have the nameplate outside the house which is M. Celeste 
Right. Now, I, I have that in my notes uh, so toward the end of the movie. Do, do you know what that means, by it's chance? It's a reference to the Marie Celeste, which is a ship oh, that yeah. drifted into a harbor, I think. And, and uh, they went aboard and there was like uh, uneaten meals and things like that aboard as if people had been there recently, but there was no one on board. How weird. Back to the original, Ben finishes the story of his escape, saying the diner was encircled by 50 or 60 of those things. And uh, he had to plow his way right through apparently with the truck that he pulled up in. Barbara starts talking uh, in sentence fragments and sputtering, recounts what happened at the cemetery, and she very inaccurately accounts what was said and done in the cemetery. I don't know if you... Either that, of you that, that scene's all improv, isn't it? And I wonder if it was just filmed out of sequence. But she, where she, where she says in the commentary that, she, that that was improvised and a lot of Ben's backstory was improvised. Oh, good. Good to know. Because her story was just like, oh, and then Johnny did this and I said that. And it's like, no, you didn't. We just watched you. And she starts going on about going out and finding Johnny. And he, she begins to scream and attack Ben, who tells her very plainly, your brother is dead. And then there's a slap fight and she faints and he carries her to the couch. He opens her coat because she was complaining earlier that it was really hot in the house. So that, that would have been pretty shocking at the time because you'd had... To, what was that movie with uh, Sidney Poitier where he slaps Rod Steiger? Right. Um, a Heat of the Night. A heat of the Night, yeah. Right. So that was a big deal. Right. How dare he? Yeah. You know, this black guy smacks a white guy. And he played a detective in that one, right? Yes, and he, he comes... Uh, and then he's... Uh, they call me Mr. Tibbs in the sequel to that movie. The hysterical behavior by a female character was pretty common in older movies, it seems. So it wasn't terribly surprising you know, for this scene to take place. Well, in the, in the uh, Savini version, the um, which is written by Romero, uh, it's the men who are hysterical. They're <laughs> a bunch of, you know, it's, it's like a satire of patriarchy. They're, they're ridiculous. I mean, I mean in, in, the, uh, in the first film, uh, Ben is ostensibly the hero, but if you think about what he does, uh, when he, you know, he says, I'll go out to the gas stand, and everything he, he gets people to do goes horribly wrong. <laughs> Nothing he tries to do succeeds. Like, he can't board up a house to save his life. And, right. <laughs> it, all, it, looks, it looks good on paper. I, I mean, you, you, were, you were telling me um, before we started about that scene where he's, he's declaring that we're all boarded up safely and, and behind him. <laughs> <laughs> that is one of my favorite things about the movie. Uh, yeah, we'll skip forward through my notes to where I, I have, uh, when, when Barbara comes back around and she's awake, um, he says to her, the place is boarded up pretty solid right now. And as he's saying this to her right behind him in frame is a window that's not been boarded up, which is my very favorite moment of this sequence of events. The radio has given us details, all these reports of mass murder drink. They say murder. Um, Effective exposition to the audience, but it also informs the characters. So now the characters are going forward knowing that it's not just isolated to their area, but it's as far as widespread, widespread, like throughout the country. Um, Reports are coming in, you know, over the course of this. Uh, My favorite awkward piece of writing here was one of the radio reports refers to a virtual army of of unidentified assassins. It just, mm. It's such a clunky wording of virtual army of unidentified assassins. Yeah, well, at the time when uh, TV wasn't so uh, cleaned up for the 
uh, US audiences. So people were seeing like bodies piling up in Vietnam, you know, every night. Which is a good point to bring up now because this was filmed uh, during a time. The worst year. The worst year. In terms of US casualties. Right. The bloodiest times. And for the first time ever, there's a war being televised. And people are seeing this on the nightly news. And having it coming through the window that is their television screen is very similar to having uh, this carnage coming through the windows of the house, the farmhouse. And I think that parallel was intentional. So Ben makes a table leg into a torch and sets a chair on fire, knowing the ghouls don't like this. And the radio mentions emergency presidential conference is taking place, including high-ranking scientists and NASA officials. And I can't help but think Lyndon B. Johnson was president at the time. You know what you know what B stands for? Baines. Baines. I just thought I'd throw that in there. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I'd and, like to think LBJ could handle zombies. I would think so. He was a good old boy. He probably probably had a good hunting raffle. So we, we, we need a Lyndon B. Johnson vampire hunter movie yeah, or something like that. Much more believable than good. Abraham Lincoln. Right. Of course, I think Lincoln would have some reach on him. Yeah, yeah Lincoln would. Um, and he was and he nine could, feet could, tall. He could box. Now, the radio also mentions wholesale murder is engulfing much of the nation. I just like the Hasn't term changed. wholesale murder. It just makes me picture Costco. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not paying retail <laughs> for this for murder. <laughs> How much for the murder four pack? <laughs> you know, it's got the cellophane around it. Um, the radio blabs on and uh, Ben is tired from all this boarding up and has a smoke. It's the 60s. Smoke up. Why not? You know, you can smoke indoors. That was pretty much okay until about... He smokes in the next one. Yeah. The... Yeah. yeah. Tony Todd makes a, a thing about it, doesn't he? He, he, like, he never gets to smoke. Yeah, he never he never gets to light that cigarette till the very end, I think. And then he flicks out immediately when he... I don't know what happens. Yeah, he kind of fumbles. He, notices... yeah, he fumbles down in the chair, and that, I think that's when he sees the gas pump key. Right. And he pitches it to the ground and starts laughing, which... It's great to have mm-hmm. your sense of humor there at a time like that, you know. <laughs> or, or is it a, or is it a like the maniacal laugh of somebody who just realizes the gravity of the situation? No, I think he was appreciating the irony. <laughs> yeah. Now, oh, that's beautiful writing. Oh man, this is good. <laughs> if I get out of this, <laughs> I've got a movie. Now, he gets up and checks out this closet and does a little gun and shoe shopping. Um, he hooks up Barbara with some nice flats, so now she's not barefoot anymore. Uh, we're talking about the original again. And then he says the line about the place being boarded up. In, really in the well. remake, she gets a pair of farmer's boots which fit her. Right. Yeah, and they look kind of badass, like, you know, like she's a fan of The Clash. She's got these boots on, you know. She looks like a Clash fan, I think, in the remake. Well, I think, think she's, uh, uh, you know, it's like the time of uh, Ripley kicking aliens and around yeah. and she's the kind of Sigourney Weaver of the yeah the, the filmmakers were not afraid to write or direct a character that's a strong woman yeah she, she's great Ben tells Barbara that he's going upstairs and he's going to clear out the body is, is what we gather from that exposition radio tells us the killers are eating the flesh of those they kill 
And suddenly enters Harry Cooper and Tom. Tom kind of looks like a surfer kid, but, you know, they're in Pennsylvania. Ben is very mad at them for um, not coming up to help earlier when they heard all the scuffling. And uh, Harry Cooper says, it could have been those things. And that's the first of about 12 or 14 times he says those things. And that's where the drinking game gets dangerous. I want to live. I'm not going to play this drinking game. The window zombies grabbing at the guys and Tom hacks up the famous chocolate syrup filled clay hand that was made by George Romero, which I kind of accept that. I suspend my disbelief. I think, well, maybe it was a, you know, a long dead zombie that, that was kind of stiff. I thought, uh, wasn't it Marilyn Eastman did most of the... She did most of the makeup, makeup effects. effects. Yes. I think Romero made this particular hand. Okay. And he also made the head that they show upstairs, uh, which famously has ping pong balls for eyes. Hmm. Yeah, he said as much. In, and uh, when he drags the, that upstairs body down the corridor, it's the uh, it's the girl who plays the daughter. Right. They didn't want um, to use a mannequin and have it look as fake as that one yeah, from uh, Frankenstein. Cara Shon? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. I think life. she's... Yeah, she's uh, Carl Hartman's daughter, isn't she? I think so. I don't okay. know what's up with the last name being different. Uh, well, he, his his, uh, his real surname is Sean. Oh, okay. Then it all makes sense. I didn't get that far in my research somehow. <laughs> I think I found out a million other very unimportant details, but not that one. All the photography in the um, remake looks great. You know, we... we yep. You know, it's... A, it, it's... Um, Cletus Anderson did the production design. He, he's the normal uh, George Romero production designer. And going back to rewatch this, having not seen it in a lot of years, I was I was prepared for it not to look great. And it looked great. Mm-hmm. Everything was, you know, the quality of the film stock, everything just looked, it just looked good. Um, when they had, what, $5 million, yeah. you said? <laughs> you know, you get a little budget. And that's one of the things that Joe Bob talked about. You know, the, these guys made this movie on almost nothing. And they made something that really changed uh, the course of horror movies and how they're written. Yeah, because like the first yeah. one, it looks like a, a shot for the news. Yeah. So, kind yeah. Of so rough and ready. And the new one looks, you know, pretty polished. Didn't some of them work for television pittsburgh oh yeah yeah they, they were making commercials and things and they wanted yeah. to make a movie yeah um george romero formed a company called the latent image in the mid-60s and they would film local commercials they they uh, famously got the 35 millimeter camera that they owned by filming a calgon commercial that um that sort of parodied uh was it fantastic voyage yes yeah uh this calgon commercial uh, had such a nice um, paycheck attached that they were able to buy a 35 millimeter camera, but that was it. That was all the money they made off of the commercial for a national campaign. Uh, otherwise, Romero filmed episodes or features that were shown on uh, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, including the one where Mr. Rogers has his tonsils taken out, ah. which Romero refers to as the most frightening thing he's ever filmed, <laughs> which I thought was pretty, pretty funny. Is it extremely gory then? <laughs> I think it's psychologically terrifying. Okay. But uh, he said of uh, people making film in Pittsburgh, he said, oh yeah, if you lived here, you did something for Fred somewhere along the way. So I guess everybody worked. That's, yes. Yeah. So that was fairly common. And of course the beer commercials. Um, there was Duke 
and uh, Iron City were the beers that they did a lot of commercials for. And I don't think Duke exists anymore. Was the uh, was the remake um, still supposed to be near Pittsburgh? Yes, I believe it yeah. was. I don't I don't I, know if it I ever knew, says. I thought it was a little more rural. Hmm. Uh, it was very Pennsylvania there at the end. <laughs> <laughs> In the remake, when they look outside and and these zombies are slowly gathering, um, Barbara points out that they're so slow moving yeah you could just walk right past them right you know (laughs) i think that was a good observation yeah um you know until there are too many of them that you can't yeah maybe they should have gotten while the getting was good well they're they're being these this patriarchy on these that they're hanging on to the home as a symbol of their their old order Uh. it's kind of a it's not just a place of refuge it's like their domain they're fighting over. Yeah. So even though it's not their house, they're, they're going to fight all comers, you know. Right. That does. I mean, her plan does work. She yeah. is able to just walk past them for the most part. Mm-hmm. I think if you had a torch and a pistol, you could probably walk past them. Now, when Harry and Ben are arguing, and uh, Ben tells Harry Cooper to just go downstairs, I'm the boss up here, you go be the boss boss downstairs yeah that's the same in both movies which i think is great because that does define that line you're talking about like all right we're gonna we're gonna have territory and we're gonna have domain um at this point we find out in the remake that oh oh, bt dubs uh sarah's sick she's been bitten and i think they find out right away that one of those things bit her uh they use a table to do some more boarding up and the zombies really are you know starting to gather in greater numbers outside barbara says it's time to fight back and ben says they'll leave as soon as they can get to the gas pump and this gas pump is the same kind of goal in both movies now the boarding up is going pretty badly the zombies are trying to push their way in but they do get it under control now that's the same in both movies ben heads upstairs with tom and All the doors are part of a remodel, so they're new doors that are not solid. But then they discover there's a TV and they see the emergency message. So they know that the whole world outside is just all topsy-turvy, people eating people, people coming back to life. Ben decides at this point, okay, this is really bad. Uh, Let's go get those old doors that are in the cellar. And of course, Harry's going to be a dick about that. And Helen, in the remake, brokers some peace between them. In the cellar, Ben sees that Sarah's sick. Uh, Helen points out that she's been bitten on the arm. Now, they're using one of the old doors as a bed across some uh, sawhorses. And uh, Ben tells um, Harry to look for the gas pump keys. So, back to the original. Um, ben shoots one of them through the torso when they're gathering outside. And it, that's when they're waving torches at them from the back of the truck. Um, not yet. This is right after okay. Tom hacks up the famous um, clay hand. Uh, one of one of the um, zombies that's trying to get in. Ben shoots it through the torso. Nothing happens. Um, and by the way, some guys who worked on the film attached squibs inside the actors. And it's one of the earliest uses of actual like exploding bloody squibs. Yeah, squib, yeah. yeah there was like one or two movies before this that did that. They had some guys who were fireworks experts. 
who knew how to blow up and burn things. So that's kind of how that came about. Uh, So he shoots it through the torso, nothing happens, then a headshot kills it. And I think this is where they kind of really notice this works. And then as a palate cleanser, there's the naked butt zombie. The, you know, uh, attractive woman shown from behind. Um, It's a good scene of, not just because of that, but it's a good scene of zombies gathering around the house. So that's kind of a parallel between both. We see the bug-eating zombie. Now, Jolene, I know you know who this is. That's Marilyn Eastman again. Marilyn Eastman, Helen Cooper from the basement, or the cellar, whatever we want to call it. She doubles as bug-eating zombie. Uh. Yeah. But Ben tells him the line, you be the boss down there, I'm the boss up here. So we're kind of in the same point in both movies. Much the same stuff is happening. We've got a much stronger character in Barbara in the remake. Cutting between the upstairs and the cellar, both men reiterate that they're right. The cellar wasn't actually part of the location. It was the basement of the um, the film editing studio yeah. oh, where okay. Romero and the gang worked. So that was kind of interesting. Yeah, they had to build a basement door onto the exterior of the farmhouse. Right. Yeah. It's like, oh, we need a door right here right. where we meet Judy, who I thought uh, looked like Raquel Welch, kind of. Judith Ridley. Judith Riley or Ridley? Ridley. Ridley. Judith Judith Ridley. Kind of had a Raquel Welch look to her, but, um, you know, full disclosure, I kind of thought Helen was better looking. Hmm. Yeah, they're they're all... When she's not eating bugs. When she's not eating bugs. Good-looking women. I just can't find Barbara in the original as attractive because of how hysterical and and useless she's being. but, uh, I don't. I don't look down on her for it. No, she's she's been through some trauma. Yeah, and you can imagine you're you're out there with your brother, and some actual dead person is coming at you and kills your brother. You know? Hey, if if Johnny would spend more time paying attention, you know, to the attacking zombies and less attention to looking sharp with his driving gloves, I don't know, man. <laughs> Um, okay, so in in the remake, you know they know they're gonna they're gonna need to fight back. So they're looking for the gas pump keys, and and um, Helen's pretty bad at this. The board up is incomplete and kind of weak. Barbara kills two and basically schools everyone. Isn't that where she shoots the skinny guy? I think this is the that part. Skinny zombie. And she says, "You can talk to me about losing it when you start screaming at each other like a bunch of two-year-olds." Yes. <laughs> I'm glad you took that note because that's exactly what we're talking about. Yeah. I thought, oh, I love this woman. Yeah. See, this is where she's just awesome. She's she's the heroine. And now, is there any problem with having two sort of hero characters? Because Ben is holding his own. He's doing the right things. Well, and Barbara is, is too. Is he? And he's is he's he, like yeah. fighting Harry so much that. Yeah. I'm glad you asked that. Is he really, or is he too distracted I mean, to be the, effective? I and mean, the movie undermines him all the way through. And like uh, even when they're boarding up, it they make a thing of all the noise they're making because there's like the the uh, shot of the distant zombie, that woman who turns around when she hears the mm, noise. Yeah. Who, uh, she's actually played by the woman who owned that house. I, oh. I, I had heard that too. I had heard that too. She was like, put me in your movie yeah. and you can use my house. That's that like when, when I was watching the, the original film, I thought, why don't they do a, a, a really distant shot and, and you can barely see any anything and, and then you hear hammering and you can see the fire on, they start on the porch, you know, they're practically creating a lighthouse for 
yeah. the zombies in the area. Right, a big flashing beacon, you know, yeah. all you can eat. She is clearly taking the lead on all of this stuff. And, and I'm glad you point out that Ben and Harry are spending too much time fighting each other to really be as effective as Ben was in the original. The only real contact with the outside world, since the phone isn't working, is the television and the two of them are fighting over it and end up smashing the television. Nice. Nice going, guys. I wasn't taking it downstairs. You can't get reception <laughs> yeah. in the basement. I was just carrying it around, you know, getting a little workout. Ben, Tom, Barbara, they all check out uh, what's going on in the outside world. Uh, the keys turn up on the dead uncle, by the way. A set of keys, right, mm -hmm. which seems like is going to be the gas pump key. Mm -hmm. Ben says to Barbara they should stay in with the gun, um, mainly because of Cooper. And they work on this this little scheme to uh, go gas up. Um, now, they use the same reporter, by the way, is uh, Bill Cardill, mm -hmm. who's a local reporter who ended up being like a local like horror movie, B-movie host. Right. Chili Billy. Chili Billy. Yes. Bill Chili Billy Cardill is... Uh, He's there um, doing the news the same way he did in the original, which is a real nice uh, you know, tying together of the two. And uh, as is, and I have a note here, also the naked butt zombie. So that's we get one in the remake, too. Um, the plan goes into action, and we're talking the remake here. plan goes into action and goes wrong almost immediately. Uh, and uh, when they're chasing the zombies off of the van, uh, there's like some uh, some of the people playing the zombies... Like uh, the one in the middle is a uh, Gayan Wilson, the cartoonist. Oh, yeah, no does. kidding! Yeah, he's the kind of current Charles Adams for the New Yorker. Oh yeah, yeah. And then there's a uh, John Skip and Craig Spector playing zombies on either side of him, I think. And they they just uh, put together this book called Book of the Dead, um, which is like this the first zombie anthology. How cool! A zombie gets halfway through the door. Ben has to ward them off with a torch. The truck doesn't want to start, and then it finally does. We've got uh, Tom's girlfriend, Judy, driving, and Ben has to run to catch up with them. And, uh, of course, he tosses his torch in the back of the truck and falls out. This is just terrible. We lost Ben. <laughs> yeah, you did, but you got his torch, <laughs> so you got that going for you. Meanwhile, at the truck, they arrive at the pump, and Tom tells Judy Rose, they don't call her Judy, they call her Judy Rose, to go back and get him. And uh, I guess he needs extra time to fumble with the keys. And it turns out, yes, they are the wrong keys. So here's a great idea. Point a gun at the gas pump and shoot he it. Shoots, tries to shoot the lock off the gas pump. This is the most shocking part in the movie <laughs> when I first saw it. Because why? Because I thought, oh, they're going to get away. And then the whole thing goes up in smoke, so to speak. Not because you're in disbelief that anyone could be that stupid? Uh, no, I, it seemed fairly realistic to me because it was just so frustrating that they didn't have the keys. Mm. Oh, yeah. And, that they weren't even the right keys. Yeah. You know, what are they going to do? And uh, it goes worse than you could have planned. Oh, yeah. Because in this, in this version... Well, real quick, let's toggle back to 1968 version. Um, 
Ben, like a badass, like a marksman, shoots the lock and it's gone. Boom. Done. No problem. Yeah. Now we can use the gas pump. In this version, Goofy Tom goes blasting at it with, I don't know, what kind of scatter gun he was using, but he pops a hole in the hose and it's spraying gasoline everywhere. And then what? Truck explodes. Because? It's a movie. No, because there's a torch in the back of it. <laughs> and also because it's a movie. Cars explode easily in movies. Yes. It's not because he has his cell phone out. They're nearly as flammable as vampires. Yep. This is the world's biggest fireball. Yes. It was impressively huge in the remake. It's yes. really good. It's uh, The pyrotechnics guy was Matt Vogel. He does lots of this kind of work. Did not know that. <laughs> he did a good job. Great explosion. Yeah, it was like, how much gas was there? Apparently a lot. That thing was like 100 feet high, this fireball. Yeah. So Ben has to fight his way back. Um, luckily, by now, he... I don't. Does he have the torch when he's fighting his way back? Let's no, see. he fights his way back by tackling them. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's he right. He goes for a lot of uh, chop blocks and, you know, for a guy's knees. <laughs> it's like a video game. Yeah. Um, it's not terribly effective, though, because... You're rolling around on the ground and the zombies can get you. Yeah. Right. Whereas if he just ran past them and shoved them out of the way, I think you could probably get back to the house pretty quickly. Speaking of Costco, that's how I move through Costco. Oh, yeah. I, it's like being in a zombie reality. <laughs> Speaking of zombie reality, I was watching this movie last night, the, the remake. I thought, if you could get a house or something... And charge people, I don't know, $200 to spend the night and protect the house from people dressed as zombies breaking in. Right. You could make a fortune. (laughs) Well, funny you should say that. Um, They do have some of these immersion haunted houses that you can sign a waiver and it's full contact. Like the actors can grab you, shake you around, and you can hit back. Mm. So everybody's trained. Sounds good. Yeah, why not? I find with the the Romero zombie movies, um, so much of the uh, the satire is against all the the kind of redneck attitude, mm-hmm. or the patriarchal attitude of you know um, people being like really happy that they can go and shoot people who look like their neighbours. Yes, and uh, I find that's like the prevailing thing in in zombie movies now. Uh-huh. It's like those people have won. They're, they're the you know they're the heroes. Yeah, um, I was thinking of something similar. Um, people are like looking forward to the zombie apocalypse. Yeah, oh. that these people uh, they think they're they'll be well prepared, and it seems like uh, I don't know, zombie movies are better when nobody makes it out alive. <laughs> Speaking of which, the the grim ending of the 1968 Night of the Living Dead was kind of. I mean, it probably wasn't unprecedented, but it certainly was not normal in movies. Mm-hmm. And in B-movies, especially B-horror movies or sci-fi movies, normally there was some sort of, you know, they figured it out at the last minute. They could make the flying saucer guys go away. Yeah. With table salt. <laughs> with, with, <laughs> with regular table salt. Just regular table salt. And, uh, and how, do you, how do you stop the blob? Do you remember? Um... I don't remember. They've... Big paper towels? <laughs> cold. cold they freeze yes, it in the yes, remake. They, yes. Do they do it in the I, original? Yeah, but where the blob is stuck, it, I, I don't want to spoil it. Oh, yeah. Spoil, spoil it. it. The movie's 
Yeah, we can spoil it. Okay, in the Larry Hagman version, they uh, freeze it in an ice rink. Yes, yes, they lure it into the okay. ice, the skating rink. Yeah. yeah. And, okay. Yeah, they're. But it, it's become a, like a reverse of that cliche, uh, like in the last twenty years or so. Like uh, nobody makes it out alive because. Uh, you know the the so-called heroes tend to be pretty detestable bunch, mm-hmm. and uh, they tend to be pretty stupid. Yes. And the monsters tend to be like ridiculously, you know, more powerful than anybody else. Like they, the films just don't have the imagination and and characters to for anyone to survive. You know, yeah, and it's just so predictable now. Whereas before, it just felt like a series of bad luck. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, darn the luck. But it's part of the, you know, like the original Night of the Living Dead's uh, logic uh, that everything would go wrong that previously was fine in the in the horror movies, you know. So yeah, the resolution the, the, there would is not no happen. Other way for this movie to end, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah the the resolution that audiences have come to expect isn't going to happen. Yeah, yeah, that definitely seemed to be how they played it, and. Uh, much much to the surprise of a lot of uh, moviegoers, I'm sure. Um, funny that you should mention how Ben in the remake handled... My note here says Ben is a one-man football team. Yes. <laughs> he's blocking, he's ducking and diving and rolling around. And um, Cooper wants that gun, of course, and Barbara won't give it up. And in the struggle, she's getting grabbed through the board up. Um, ben can't get in because she's not there to let him in. She's getting in this uh, little uh, disagreement with Cooper. And finally in the struggle, she gets free. Cooper gets grabbed. Um, Barbara lets Ben in. Cooper gets loose and starts shooting and wastes all the ammo. A cop zombie forces his way in conveniently um, without a warrant, by the way. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, They beat him and they look for his gun. Now, Cooper, in the meantime, finds bullets and heads to the cellar. And there's Sarah, who is reanimated. Ben says, shoot it, Cooper. And Ben starts to do the shooting, and Cooper begins a gun battle with with Ben. You know, ben really isn't trying to shoot Cooper, but Cooper's kind of... That's the way it goes. Yeah, he's being kind of unreasonable. What a surprise. Um, Barbara's getting stalked. Um, she gets the cop's gun and shoots Sarah. So here we have um, all the handiwork being done by Barbara again in the remake. Mm-hmm. Now, if we if we look over to 1968, um, of course, it's Ben that has to finish off um, young Sarah. Yeah. So it is a lot of role reversal for sure. What happens to Barbara in the original? I don't remember now. Oh, she finally gets pulled out yeah, into the does crowd. Does she get pulled? Yeah, okay, is her brother and yeah, he's oh, okay. That's right. Yeah, you can tell by the driving gloves. I mean, he's missing <laughs> yes, the glasses, yes. but you know it's Johnny because that hand comes in and it's Whereas the gloves. Whereas the, uh, the remake, he's just in the back of the truck, dead at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Back where we were talking about the original, and I got kind of sidetracked with Judy's uh, Raquel Welch looks, and and then the uh, the Milfy. Helen Cooper being better looking. Okay, where were we? Okay, so Barbara is intently reading a doily. Did you remember this part where she's Barbara's on the couch and she's kind of leaned over to the arm of the couch and there's this doily kind yes. of thing there and she's just yeah. it's like she's reading it. 
and she's just really engrossed in this doily. She's clearly lost her mind, and Helen is there um, having a smoke, and Harry is critiquing the bad board-up job uh, like he did anything to help. Dick. Total dick. Um, The TV is going on about the the rampant mass murder and cannibalism. I like the 60s newsrooms, all these people rushing around and, you know, people typing, people on telephones and the reporters in the foreground of all this stuff. It's really cool. It feels very authentic. But this is the part, and I don't know if Romero or Russo have either of them said anywhere that they regret doing this, but... They say on the news that the Explorer satellite shot to Venus was destroyed by NASA when it was discovered to be carrying a high level of radiation. So it's carrying a high level of radiation. Why this? They want to explain it to us. Well, um, it's not saying that this is the reason that the dead are coming back. It's just, uh, it's like in the horror movies, whatever explanation comes up is the one that people go with. Yeah. Does it not shove us in that direction? But I, I, he, Romero's grown up on EC Comics and 50s movies. So, like, um, you look at the zombie movies in the 50s, like Invisible Invaders. And I, I'm, the standard uh, gimmick in the 50s was, oh, it's radiation. It's the, it was the bomb. Right. And in the 30s, it was glands. Yes. Or something like that. And, and, uh, you know, it's just, uh, it's not it's not a MacGuffin, but it's the uh, shorthand for explaining why things are going, going on in a semi-scientific manner. It's, it's of the times. When they show scenes of Washington, D.C., and these government guys walking down the street and the reporters rushing around them, after this part, uh, the TV report tells you to dispose of the dead by burning, and they say that reanimation happens in a matter of minutes. So they're hatching the plan to create a distraction and go to the gas pump. They're going to fuel up and be ready to bail out because being holed up there probably isn't the greatest idea. Maybe being mobile is better. Uh, Tom points out that there's kerosene in the basement. And between that and some canning jars, they're going to make Molotov cocktails. There's a long, dull scene between Tom and Judy. It's probably the worst part of the movie for me. This conversation feels like it takes forever. Where, where she wants to go with him, but he's saying don't. Yeah, I think so. They, I don't know. I nodded off. They, they kind of remind me of those beach party couples, you know. He looks kind of, He looks like the surfer guy, doesn't Annette he? Annette Funicello. And, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the, everyone's wearing clam diggers and, and dancing on surfboards and crap like that. Yeah, they had that look. But back to the plan. They're going to unbar the door, and they're going to go for it. Cooper goes upstairs... He uh, he's throwing these these little fire bombs down at the zombies, and Ben has his table torch, his table leg torch, and the fire stunts that we see are very real mm-hmm. and done by absolute amateurs. <laughs> <laughs> this is so cool. Do you do you remember who who gets set on fire? Bill Hinsman and John Russo. Okay. Oh, do they? Yeah, oh, it's the okay. two of them. The one I said earlier looked like Pee Wee Herman. Yeah. Um, he's apparently alive again and getting set on fire. I don't think you can see that it's necessarily him, but Bill Hinsman from the opening scene, he gets set on fire. And uh, I guess they were, they were like, uh, if it gets too hot, just uh, roll around in the grass. That's no protective clothing, n- no special alcohol based gel. It was just really? like, they must have. No, 
I mean, they, maybe they put on a couple pairs of long johns underneath, but they didn't have like flame retardant suits at all. Mm. And wow. they said as much, uh, but it worked. I mean, apparently no one got that burned. Um, now the truck in the original is also slow to get started. Uh, this is where Judy freaks out. She's not part of the original plan. She freaks out and makes a break for it and decides to join them. They get to the pump and in a very similar um, turn of events, the keys aren't working. So Ben puts the torch down, shoots the lock like a marksman. I made a note to myself, this goes really badly in the remake, by the way. <laughs> and then Tom is all sloppy with the gas. He's, okay. Yeah. yeah. He picks up the, the nozzle and just sloshes gas all over. He douses the truck. Ben says, watch the torch. The truck goes up in flames. Ben's trying to put out the little bit of fire on the grass, but it's just, it's gone too far. Tom tries to move the truck to get it away from the pump, and it's already on fire. So boom, no more Tom and Judy. They go up in a fireball. Not nearly as impressive as the fireball in the 1990 remake, but it's a pretty good fireball. In this scene, the crowd of zombies is closing in on Ben, and this includes this shirtless bodybuilder-looking dude. So I've got uh, here that uh, I think he just wants protein. Yeah. So I think the zombies are really good, and um, and in the remake, the really nice makeup jobs. And... They studied corpses, apparently. Yeah. They they had a lot of photos of like morgue they photos. They actually reanimated the dead. <laughs> what better way, right? But yeah, and they they uh, said that at the time that they'd studied uh, like concentration camp victims, and and they 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 trooped out to see a, an autopsy. They went to a mortician's mortuary and and uh, saw some actual bodies in disarray. The cemetery zombie is very gory. Yes, he's he's played by one of the special effects guys named Greg Funk. Oh, okay. And he has like the pus or the embalming fluid or whatever that runs out. Yeah. Dorgan. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're really good makeups in the, in the in the remake. But uh, what I mean uh, about the uh, zombies in the original, uh, because it's minimal, I, I find it more effective than zombies are yeah. when they look like people. It's creepier to me. You know, when, when they're uh, really made up, they become monsters. They're, the, yeah. They're too different. Like, I, I really love the, um, the, the zombies in, um, like, Zombie Flesh Eaters, uh, Zombie 2, the uh, Lucio Fulci films. Um, Is that the know, one with the big stick through the eye? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah they, they have all this, like, terracotta and stuff built up in their faces, and they, they, look, they look wonderful, but... But very when, other. Yeah, when... You know, the ones in... Not Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead, where they, they look just like people. It really patches into fear of the mob and yeah. fear of people turning on you that I don't get from the more monstrous zombie makeups. Which, if you if you dial it back to... What year was Carnival of Souls? 64? I want to say it was 63 or 64. Something like that. Yeah. Um, that one, uh, very similar. So eerie because they were just, you know, very blanched out people mm -hmm. so you get that eeriness um so ben makes his way back to the house with the torch cooper won't let him in uh dick <laughs> i just every time i write something about cooper it's followed by dick um ben kicks the door open and of course there's zombies trying to come in behind him cooper finally comes over to help board up because i think he realizes if he doesn't help at some point they're just going to get in and they'll be inside the house with him. 
So after they get get the place sort of uh, temporarily back under control, Ben punches him a few good ones, um, and then it cuts to the the what they call I think they refer to this as the barbecue scene, which uh, any of the flesh that they're eating is ham covered with chocolate syrup. The regional brand I guess was Bosco. So mm, it's ham and Bosco. I love ham and Bosco. <laughs> Do you have to have your Bosco shipped in? From, I do. From the East Coast? Down to the Iron Brew. Yeah. Iron City? Iron, yeah. City. Iron City. Iron City and Bosco. <laughs> and Bosco. That's The, the bartender's going to have that waiting for you at my next party. I hope so. <laughs> Iron City? No ham, though. I don't eat ham anymore. So <laughs> you, do, you don't want like a little skewered piece of ham on one of those mm. mini well, swords? Well, okay, maybe. Okay. You're a kosher zombie now? I'm kosher, yes. So you've got uh, Ham and Bosco, if, if you're into that sort of thing. And while they're eating, we get the weird sounds of 60s psychedelic electronica. Do you remember this? Uh-huh. Yeah. It gets weird for a minute, doesn't it? I yeah. think that's the theme they used from the... Uh, it, there's a TV series called Ben Casey. But anyway, it was library music, music that was used in, in an earlier TV series. Whenever some uh. dirty hippie was freaking out. <laughs> well, then when this particular character was shooting up or whatever he did. It's so funny. Like They, they pretty much used the same, the same rules for any drug. If they were depicting a drug trip back in the 60s and 70s. They acted All the same. All drugs had the same effect. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Shooting up heroin, smoking a joint. It was all the same thing. And it was all like LSD. Yeah. It was all real horrible hallucinations. Were you think one of the first uh, like mainstream A movies to be about an addict was, was The Long Weekend? Yeah. Land. And uh, that was like a... Lost early, Weekend. That was also... Yeah, Lost Weekend. We're, it's also uh, early use of electronica where they had a theremin for his when he ah. <laughs> spaces out. Yeah. Yeah, and that, there's, so like shortly after that, it became the the theremin became the instrument of science fiction movies. But before then, it was the instrument for alcoholics and drug addicts and yeah, uh, surrealist sequences. I like in in those old movies from the fifties and sixties when. There was like a really, a real drunkard would be, you know, stumbling around to some jazz music. And then oh, oh okay. I always liked that. I thought you were going to say, and he sees something <laughs> wild, and he, he looks at the bottle and then tosses it away. Oh, that never gets old, does it? No, it doesn't funny get old. every time. It is. <laughs> Alcoholics aren't funny anymore, though. They're not. They're so, so tragic They now. decided it was tragic and not funny. Yeah, that's some nonsense. I want I want that guy with the with his tie halfway undone, kind of disheveled, uh, messed up hair. I want him seeing pink elephants. Maybe he rubs his eyes. Yeah, does a double take. <laughs> There's no way a gorilla just walked out of that alley. It's enough booze for me. You can see in the original that uh, one of the client and client slash investor people was a meat packer. Or a butcher, depending on which account. Mm-hmm. Um, you can see where they contributed greatly to this next scene with all the cannibalism. Oh. Ooh. Real intestines. Yeah. Real livers. Sheep. Like, mm. like he'd like put water into the intestines to make them puffier. Oh, nice. You don't want them all collapsed. <laughs> Just tripe. It's all right. Just disgusting. Yeah, we'd eat that in England. I'm quite happy to eat tripe. Yeah, I was going to say, it's just <laughs> tripe. We've... Uh, 
I think we've all had some try. Dear listeners, if you have any questions about England or or all things English. <laughs> or tripe. Or tripe. And why would the English eat that stuff? They could blame it on the Scots. I don't know. But uh, the questions could be um, posed on our Facebook page. So find Chewing the Scenery on Facebook. Ask Jolian. <laughs> and and uh, Will can answer anything on New Mexico. Yes. And uh, I don't know what my field of expertise should be. Um, you could ask me questions about why Chicago people do what they do. And I also... Why Chicago? Why? Question mark. <laughs> why Chicago? Um, I haven't lived there in a long time, so I don't sound like I'm from there so much anymore. And I lived in Hawaii for a while, too. You can ask me a few questions oh, about that. I, mean, I might have some stories for you, at least. And I believe you lived in Idaho. Oh, I did. Yes, I did. That's the one they should have questions about. Oh, people do have questions about Idaho. Why Idaho? Why? Why Idaho? What are you doing? Now, it's changed a lot since I lived there. but uh, It's very metropolitan now, populated by Idabillies. <laughs> Not as many Idabillies as there used to be. That They've is... run them out. <laughs> With money. As little as 60 cents a day, you could support an Idabilly. <laughs> Return him to his home habitat. I hope none of our listeners are from Idaho. They aren't, but I mean. There's, well, there's a couple, I think. And we don't need to apologize when we make jokes. Anyway. Um, I'll tell a true story, and, and that'll be a lot worse than us joking. Oh, I know the story you're going to tell with the flip-flop and the hitchhiker. <laughs> yep. I'm not going to tell any more. No. I think it just sounds good with the flip-flop and the hitchhiker. <laughs> the flip-flop. And the hitchhiker. And I was neither the hitchhiker nor the flip-flop wielder in that story, so... I'll never wear flip-flops again after that. Oh, it's not the flip-flop <laughs> in that story. So... <laughs> Tell us the story. So, there's this hitchhiker. No, wait. Scenes of cannibalism, which uh, Romero did point out. Uh, some of these actors who were uh, clients of the film production company actually were happy to bite into these entrails and whatnot. Sure, why not? Yeah, you know, it's like their moment. They were they had Oscar. Although about <laughs> take 50, nobody wanted any more entrails. Yeah. Like, could you put some Bosco on this? And, and I, I'd have to have tofu trails because yeah, I'm vegetarian. Yeah. Yes. And, you know, I don't eat mammals. I eat birds and fish. And, and I think chicken entrails wouldn't be as impressive. So no. I think we would all get cut from this movie ourselves. This is like, was it the first explicit scene of cannibalism on film? I, I believe so. I would think so. There's, cannibalism has been in movies, in films, but, not but shown. It was usually two people standing in a big pot. <laughs> <laughs> and some guy with a bone through his nose yeah. stirring yeah. as it slowly heats up. You know, there is a good scene like that in a movie called The Naked Prey. Oh, God. Yes. 1966. Uh, um, Cornell Wilde was the lead in that Wilde, one. Yeah. And he directed it, too. Did he? Hmm? I didn't know he directed it. Great movie. It's a guy who's... Um, where are they? Are they in the... In Africa or something. Yeah. I, I'm trying to think of what desert or what grassy area it is. But there's a, a guy who, in his... We're getting way off track, but this is so interesting. <laughs> Go watch The Naked Prey, everybody. I'm not yeah. going to ruin it, it for you. It involves a hitchhiker and a <laughs> flip-flop. If, if you're into uh, exploitation... And cannibalism. If you're into exploitation movies, then definitely check out Cornell World. 
movies that he directed uh, really prefigure a lot of movies we like today. Like uh, he did one, No Blade of Grass is basically Mad Max. And, no kidding. Yeah. Uh, the Naked Prey prefigures all those, the cannibal movies. Right, the, like Cannibal Holocaust kind of stuff. The 80s and stuff. And, right. Uh, he, he did a, like a one that wasn't like a kind of early Vietnam War movie. That, yeah. He's Interesting. A, yeah, definitely check him out. So were they um, in The Naked Prey, and I promise you listeners will get right back to Night of the Living Dead in a minute. In The Naked Prey was, was uh, Cor- I know Cornell Wilde was the last of his party that was going to get punished by this tribe. And instead of, and what I was thinking of was one guy gets completely uh, mummified in mud and then turned over a fire. Oh, like they, a, they bake a guy. They bake, yeah, they, they bake him in clay. Oven, yeah. It's horrible. Yeah. And they have like a little mouth tube so he can breathe, but he's screaming. That's uh. oh, horrible. And it's not even like the goriest movie you've ever seen. It's no. just that those moments are, are terrible. And it's all shot on location. It feels really real, you know. It, it does feel authentic for that reason. Yeah. And Cornell Wilde and the reason it's called The Naked Prey is is instead of wrapping him in mud and baking him or something terrible like that, they're like, well, you get to make a run for it and we're going to hunt you. Mm-hmm. And uh, they do. Yeah. But they take his clothes first. So he is running naked through Africa right. and they're chasing him. So, that's, cool. and that's not a spoiler. That's that's in the title, basically. He's naked. He is yeah, the prey. Yeah, that's just where it where it takes off. You know. Yeah, that's shortly what, into the movie. That's where it takes off streaking. Yeah. So, <clears throat> back to the movie. Okay, uh, blood, sinew, entrails. Okay, so they um, so the the survivors in the house are talking about what other cars they could fetch, all of which sound like really bad ideas. And this is where the Coopers reveal that Sarah has been bitten. Ben warns them that uh, she might have whatever disease those things are carrying. <clears throat> the TV points out that the recently dead should be burned and the ghouls should be shot in the head. Oh, shit. The power goes out. Um, that That is my... Uh, any time we watch horror movies or <laughs> supernatural anything, the monster the advice we always give the characters is chop off its head and burn it. Well, you, I just don't think much can go on after that. You know, if, if you encounter a monster that can take its head being chopped off and burned, then your name is Ichabod Crane. Yeah, you're out of luck. <laughs> you know, ghosts too. You know, I would assume that if you if you swipe a machete at a ghost. Yeah, but you have other ways to get rid of ghosts. Lead them down to the basement. Spring. Everybody knows ghosts can't go upstairs; only down. <laughs> And they they're attracted to gold. <laughs> there is that too. You can make up any rules you want about ghosts or monsters. It's... How about cops? Cops, yeah. Cops can't go upstairs. Ordinary table salt. It makes <laughs> will make cops disappear in a puff of smoke. And you just hear this little. Eah! All right. Um, what were we talking about? <laughs> what is this movie? It's called The Naked Prey, oh. 1966, starring Cornell Wilde. I don't remember him being naked. Oh, no, wait, no. Night of the Living Dead. Night okay. of the Living Naked Dead. <laughs> Night there is Night a, of the Naked Dead. I am sorry to report, Will. Mm-hmm. I know you're joking. There is, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, you, you... I don't know for sure, but yeah, yeah. There is such a movie. Oh, yes. There's... And I've almost decided to punish my eyes by... <laughs> turning this stupid thing on like i did with detention of the dead 
Maybe for next cast, I will have watched at least the first 20, 30 minutes of it and tell you. Okay. I've seen Night of the Living Bread, which which is only 10 minutes long. It's reenacted with toast, right? Yeah. Okay. I have heard of that one. Okay. Power is out. Uh, Ghouls using tools. They break the windows with rocks. And um, so everybody who had ghouls using tools drink. Do people Uh, really object to ghouls using tools yes there are people who absolutely can't stand whenever a zombie does anything but shamble and flail man or bite when did the schism happen between (laughs) people pick the damnedest things to be upset about right yeah they'll put they'll put up with so much no that ghouls using a rock it's no not my ghouls it's not canon not in my america um so ben yells for help um Cooper steals the rifle, heads toward the cellar. Um, ben shoots him. How do I have Ben shoots him? They're struggling. Okay. Helen gets grabbed, narrowly escapes. Cooper stumbles to Sarah and dies. Um, Helen returns to the cellar just in time for the feast. Sarah is eating her father. Mm. So. Um, there's, a, there's a big taboo right there. Yeah, that is. I mean, not just cannibalism, but... What would you call this? Incestuous cannibalism? I don't know. What you would even call it? Uh, Nepotism? Nepocannibalism? Peter. Feige. Yeah. Peter Feige. <laughs> I believe it was an actor in the 70s. <laughs> oh, yeah. The guy with the big bushy mustache. Helen returns just in time for the feast. And ghouls using tools. Once again, Sarah grabs a trowel and starts stabbing Helen. Uh, and then it goes all LSD again with the audio. And there's yeah, that, that great sounds like seagulls yes, crying or something. Yeah, some high-pitched squawking sounds. Yeah. And uh, they're bending the pitch on everything. And they start splattering Bosco on the wall, which, what a waste. They could have put that on some ham. Mm. Good news for cannibals. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What else are you going to put on your ham? Back upstairs, there's just arms and faces everywhere coming in through the board up. Not good. Um, it's obviously failing. And Barbara isn't doing very well to help. And then we see the gloved hand, the sharp driving gloves of Johnny as he puts his hand through the board up and kind of reaches in and shows his face. And this freaks Barbara out, of course. But what freaks her out more is getting dragged out into the mob of zombies. Sarah Cooper from the basement tries to get Ben. Nope. He shoots her in the head. And then he heads off to the cellar. So, Cooper was right. <laughs> the cellar's the place to be. Personally, I would have agreed with Ben that going down into the basement was probably a bad idea because if they got down there, you couldn't get back out. If any of these flaming zombies came back to roost, that mm-hmm. could be a problem because if the house is on fire <laughs> and you're in the cellar, not a lot of chance you're going to make it. Hmm. You know, I don't know if the yeah. room... Is the roof a good place to be? Is the attic a good place to be? I'd, I'd pick the roof. I think that's your best chance of being seen by someone from a distance. They're not going to think you're a zombie up on the roof. More LSD audio as Ben sees the Coopers in the, in the cellar reanimate. Now, we don't actually see Helen reanimate, but it's implied. And he has to shoot both of them to finish them. So um, Cooper finishes this story where he started, in the cellar. Mm-hmm. With the bullet. Yep. Um, now the next morning, birds are chirping. There's shots of trees. There's helicopters in the air. We get aerial shots of the fields full of ghouls. 
lots of cops and dogs and rednecks are are working on it and uh uh we hear him talk about um checking out that house over there ben can hear the he can, he's listening he can hear this sounds like rescue and the chief mentions he wants a bonfire ben lets himself out of the cellar knowing he'll soon be safe he's looking out the window and the chief and one of the one of the marksmen are standing out in the distance and the chief says all right hit him in the head right between the eyes and then crack ben is dead he gets shot right in the head good shot okay he's dead let's get him that's another one for the fire and then the outro uh still photos which include ben men are using meat hooks to move the dead and the credits roll a lot of still photos and uh, one more piece of footage is this roaring bonfire and that's the end of the original one how this differs from the remake well the i I think we've covered it he ben goes downstairs locks himself in the basement right after uh the shootout with cooper who i believe goes upstairs and uh yes and uh while he's dying from his gunshot wounds ben looks over and sees that the gas pump key is hanging on the pegboard there now we we left out the part that he sends Barbara away. He tells her just go. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, and she does her her plan of just walking past them, which works pretty well. Yeah, yeah and she has that kind of compassionate moment with the mother. Oh, Zombie. that's right. Yes, She's her mother kind of shows it, up hold, with a doll, holding a doll. With, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, she 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 doesn't bother shooting most of them because she doesn't need to, and she's not exactly she's not got that cruel streak like the hunters do. Yeah, as long as they don't get her, she's mm. willing to leave them alone. So Barbara sees a truck. She gets shot at, dives into this pile of zombies, and her brother's there. <laughs> he is he in the pile? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. There's a, there's a trio of because you see the gloves. <laughs> Right. That's right. <laughs> he doesn't show up as a zombie, does he? In this one, Maybe. he doesn't drag her. Th- or I mean, obviously, he doesn't kill Barbara, but um, he gets his head smashed against the stone yeah. pretty, pretty well. So she screams and gets up, and these guys grab her, and one of them says, "What in the name of Jupiter's balls are you doing, little lady?" So my question was, who wrote this? <laughs> Who says Jupiter's balls? Come on. Lots of people. You haven't heard that? Great Caesar's ghost. Well, I've never heard that one. <laughs> so these guys seem rapey. Am I, am I alone in thinking so? No. Yeah, no, they, I think they gave it that vibe. Yeah, that seemed deliberate? Oh, yeah. Okay. So we um, cut to sun up. There's smoke. There's helicopters. And they're having the these zombie corral full of zombie fights yeah, yeah. bikers and there's some bikers yeah so that they kind of remind you of dawn of the dead you think that's yeah. deliberate yeah it's gotta Probably. be right oh, i can't help it we do get the line they're dead they're all messed up and when barbara is looking at this whole scene this whole atmosphere of this um hillbilly carnival she says the line they're us we're them and they're us now some People took offense to that, so she kind of decided to shut up and get away from them because maybe they would decide she's good for target practice next. Yeah, she's she's seeing herself as above them. Yeah, she's probably right. Morally, which she is to some extent, but... 
Well, yeah. She she does have a dark streak going. Yeah. Clearly. So we see in the next scene when she goes to the house. Right. But not before we see the lynched zombie target practice, which is probably something deliberate. Something deliberate. <laughs> they filmed this on purpose. So it's not it's like, almost like it's they not, did film this on purpose. Hey, is like, this thing on? <laughs> not like Night of the Naked Dead where you, you get the opposite feeling. <laughs> okay, full disclosure, everybody. We we took a break to um, to, to load the, the SD card into the computer and we, we watched part of... Was it called Night of the Naked Dead? Night of the Naked Dead. It, yeah, well, and it naked like, Night of the Naked Dead. <laughs> It was so bad. Yeah, God. <laughs> the reporters. <laughs> some of the worst acting. Yeah, and there's whole scenes that go by and you think, well, what was that about? <laughs> what happened in that scene? Nothing. At least in a Roger <clears throat> Corman film, they would have been walking around yeah. in those scenes. <laughs> God. It was so bad. I, I'm going to probably stay up late and watch the rest of it. I, I Good luck you have to. We should do a live watch of that one where we just <laughs> have the audio plugged into the recorder. Um, uh-huh. And because I think this little port here will allow you to plug a device into it and we could drop the volume down a little bit and the three of us could talk about Night of the Naked Dead. Okay. Okay. Back to the story. Um, so I'm, we. I'm going to need alcohol. For <laughs> all this crazy stuff going on with these hillbillies. Everyone's got a mullet, and it's here to stay. Yes. You can beat it. You can burn it. It's not going to die. There's this um, impossible amount of chainsaw activity to get the cellar door open, and out pops zombie Ben. Very disappointing moment for me. I didn't expect this. Mm, it's sad. I mean, we uh, knew he was mortally wounded, but I don't know why I thought he would be okay. I remember the movie ending. Uh, obviously didn't, but uh, when he went down in the cellar... And he laughs at the end. Like a maniac. Mm. Uh, he just sounded like he was having a good time. <laughs> what? You know? And ended on a he high note. He was appreciating the humor in the whole thing, the absurdity of life. I would think you would by this point, right? You'd have to. Yeah. I mean, you can't see reanimated corpses and... Not have a good time. Right. <laughs> Are they clothed? <laughs> well, there was a naked one at the beginning of this. Yeah. Yeah, to be fair. So zombie Ben comes out, and of course they shoot him in the head. And drag that out of here, one of them says. And then Cooper comes popping out, like out of a jack-in-the-box. We don't know where he was. He was upstairs last we saw him. Where did he hide? Well, that that attic hatch Oh, okay. That's right. He does see the attic hatch with a little... He pulls down the step, but... Yeah, the, oh, sp- the spring-loaded right. stairs that they so fold out. So he hid in the attic, probably. Okay. Yeah, yeah so that makes sense. Uh, he says to Barbara, you came back! And he's kind of excited, like he knows he's been rescued. And what does she do? She shoots him. Right in the forehead. Yep. There's another one for the fire, they say. That's the end of uh, Cooper. And then, uh, of course, like we talked about earlier... I have the note that M. Celeste is on the outside of the house, all caps, all script, which, by the way, never do that if you're a graphic artist. If it's script, it's never all caps. It's unreadable. It looks terrible. Um, and, of course, my my note to myself was why, and I was just should have put another note to it. Jolene will totally know why. <laughs> Thank you for that, though. And they pull into Barb, and then it goes... Barbara. Then they pull into Barbara... And it goes into the still photos, just like the original. And that's the end of uh, the 1990 remake, 
directed by Tom Savini, Night of the Living Dead. Yes. So, how do you feel about the two movies since we've gone back and forth between them, kind of scene by scene? How do you feel about uh, the remake as a remake? I like the remake. I like it quite a bit. I, it, uh, yeah. it started out, I mean, uh, it's been forever since I'd seen it, so when you started, it's it's almost shot for shot at the beginning, and the conversation's the same. But they take it in a new place after, <clears throat> once they get to the house, you know, Barbara's but, not just screeching. I think screeching. they play, play it shot for shot so that they can surprise you with that initial zombie. I think so, zombie. yeah. Yeah, the sameness uh, really sets you up for the difference, mm-hmm. doesn't it? Yeah. Now, the look of the film, I thought was really nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They, they spent their money well. Uh, the rewatch, I was pleasantly surprised. I have not looked upon this movie in over 10 years. And just remember that it was good. And I had a friend in college that was like, I want to go make a zombie movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he really wanted to just jump right in there. And a lot of people have said the same thing since. But it looked great. Mm. Yeah. Um, acting was good. Yeah. Um, yeah, because they were going through a major studio through Columbia or something, that, and they were spending like five million dollars. That uh, it, it, it's just too dry. They had to compromise on and seasoned professionals. The splatter, uh. which, which makes a difference too, right? Yeah, but uh, you know, a zombie movie in nineteen ninety, and uh, you know, by that time, zombie movies are already tired. Yeah, um, this was just. They, they had to be too dry. They couldn't go as far as needed to. They, there's lots of stuff they had to cut. Yeah. I would yeah. Disappointing. But what they what does end up on the screen, however, is acted by, you know, very professional Great people. Cast, yeah. yeah. Directed by Tom. Who, Tom Savini is his first direction he's done. His first feature film, yeah. But he's been working on movies for a couple decades by this point. And he directed some Tales from the Dark Side episodes. Oh, oh good. okay. Good. So... We have that. That's what I was going to ask. Did he direct anything else? He had a hard time on this film. Did he? Yeah. I don't think I heard that. Mm, well, I don't want to spread rumors too much. Studio interference, he, he, anyone? He had, uh, well, I, I read things that said that some of the crew didn't like him being the director. Mm. Um, they were kind of working against him. Well, that's uh, never good. It's unfortunate, and and that's in that situation is never good because everybody should be a united front yeah. to get a thing made. And, and he says he, he got about forty percent of his vision into the film. Oh. That's it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, most movies are compromised, but yeah, that's um, some of the the music. Sometimes it's interesting, but sometimes it's just that eighties one finger synth. Oh yeah, thing going. It just makes it sound. It makes it feel cheaper. The only part I remember thinking was a little silly as far as... I don't remember the sound at all, the, the music or the sound. That, that shot of the full moon really was distracting in a fun way for me. I was thinking <laughs> werewolves whenever I saw it. They used it like twice. Yeah. Um, but other than that, I, I don't know if we have to do original versus remake and pick a winner because of when they're made and by whom and for how much money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think this is probably a successful remake. Julian, yeah, agree? I think they do a good job. It, you know, it's not a remake that you resent being there, right? Yeah. But it, it it was largely made so that they could get money back that they hadn't made off the first one. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, but 
but given that, it's still a good movie. I would watch this anytime. Oh, yeah. And if somebody told me that, well, I've seen Night of the Living Dead, and I know there's an old black and white one, but I've never seen it, I would tell them, well, you're off to a good start. Go back and watch the mm-hmm. original source material, uh, which is a miracle to me that that thing got made yeah. as well as it got made for what little they did. Huge impact. By the time this remake came out, you'd already had two colorized versions. <laughs> That's and right. And then you'd, later you'd have like 3D, uh, an animated version. There's mm-hmm. an animated version? It's called uh, Night of Living Dead Reanimated, I believe. Something like that, yeah. It's, it's interest, uh, it sounds more interesting than it turns out to be. I saw one made I watched with it. stick figures that somebody <laughs> animated once, there's, you know, mm-hmm. probably there's, 20 years ago now on the internet. There's one where... Um, they used to reenact movies in 30 seconds with bunnies. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, they and do a good job. Night of the Living Bread. Yeah, so... Yeah, the, the, this Savini version stands head and shoulders above the other versions I've seen. Most of the other tripe. I'd watch them back to back. Back to back. Don't toggle <laughs> back and forth. Watch them back to back. Or, yeah, if you have two screens, two screens like, oh. you watch them at the same time. Like The Man Who Fell to Earth or something. You yeah. can watch every version of Night of the Living Dead at the same time. Now, do um, do either of you have any uh, any final thoughts about the original one? The, the 1968 original Night of the Living Dead? No, other than being interested in what these missing nine minutes they found are. Apparently, I hope it's more conversation between Tom and Judy. <laughs> a full nine-minute conversation step right in the middle. I want to dig deep into her feelings about this whole thing. Yes. What's her backstory? Yeah. I, I, I could watch um, just nine minutes of Helen Cooper putting on makeup. You know, Zombie makeup? No, just lip gloss and stuff. No, I, I honestly think that um, what they said about that was there's some good zombie mob scenes some like some really wide crowd shots yeah there's, there's more of a final attack yeah and so you get you get a better scope on it i'm sure one of those, those zombies that break in at the end is george romero it looks looks like him well i would probably yes i would like to find that out so Julian, you know about the um it was the 25th or was the 30th anniversary 30th 30th yeah yeah, you want to tell us some more about proud that? Proud owner of that on video cassette because I <laughs> haven't, cassette. haven't bothered upgrading it. If that tells you anything. Well, um, I have it on DVD, and it's got that extra footage at the beginning. But tell us, uh, tell us about this one. Okay, so this is the uh, 30th anniversary. Uh, so after the uh, initial movie came out, John Russo uh, split with uh, the rest of the team. Uh, with with George Romero anyway, and um, Romero got the rights to make movies in the series with the title Dead, or with Dead in the title, and John Russo uh, could use Living Dead. And uh, so around 1978, uh, this novel came out called Return of the Living Dead, uh, John Russo, um, and uh, this is based on a story by Russo, Striner, uh, Ricky Valentine, and uh, then uh, this was... um, Developed as a movie and uh, eventually became Return of the Living Dead, so 1985, which was extensively rewritten by Dan O'Bannon of Alien oh. and Dark Star. Was it originally and meant to be so fun? And no. No? Okay. Yeah, the, the novel is very, you know, it's dark and um, very clipped writing. 
and uh, it's a childhood favorite. And and they, <laughs> and they didn't have the punk rockers in it, I would assume. No, no, because no. sort of predates that. Yeah, uh, predates that British style of punk rocker. And, right. Yeah, so there's none of that. There's like zombie scouts, and yeah, and it's it's directly after the original story, so it's still out in the country. But uh, um, some of the elements from that are taken and used in the 30th anniversary. So you have a priest who's uh, telling people that they need to spike the dead. Um, hmm. and that's the uh, method uh, used in the novel to keep people down. Um, they have to hammer a spike into their heads. Um, so anyway, they, they, uh, the 30th anniversary of the movie, um, uh, Russo, Hinsman and Striner got together and uh, shot the these new scenes and uh, did and incorporated them into an edited down version of the original film um, and they used new scenes with uh, this priest guy Reverend Hicks who's played by Scott Vladimir Lucina mm-hmm. and he also did some redone music for it and uh, and various relatives and so on to play odd, odd zombies like Jessica Striner as a zombie girl at a car crash and uh, Heidi Hinsman plays this waitress Rosie stumbling about in every every new scene she's the jar jar binks of the movie yes and they even do a backstory on the first zombie so uh, it starts off with these two guys picking up this uh executed child killer at a prison and they drive him out to the cemetery and then there's a service done by the reverend and then uh everyone else leaves apart from the the grave diggers and they uh, open up the coffin and it's bill hinsman as the first zombie and he gets up and they run away uh, and he he looks similar enough. I mean, obviously the man is older, but yeah, you but can, you can tell it's him. You, yeah, you can tell it's the same guy, but older. Anyway, um, and then it cuts back to the original film, Barbara and Johnny arriving, and then it gets up to uh, Ben boarding up the windows and listens to the radio, and they put new audio on the radio. No kidding. And uh, it's not as well done. It's not as authentic sounding. Um, I believe on the DVD you can either play just the original or you can play okay. the the re, the revised version with the intercut audio. Yeah. I could be wrong on that. I don't know. Well, when it goes from that radio scene to this new scene where a car has hit a tree and the dad has had his head smashed and the family starts eating him. And at this point, the uh, player ate my tape. Oh, no! <laughs> but <laughs> foolishly, I wound the tape back in and finished watching it. Um, and your expectations were met. <laughs> So I, I'd seen it before, but I wanted to check for this this podcast because that's the kind of integrity we put into it. <coughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So then it goes back to Ben listening to the radio, and the Coopers come out. There's the attack at the window, and you see more you know, new footage of zombies in the woods, and the waitress walks around again. Mm. Um, she's a zombie, I assume, not just <coughs> taking orders. Yeah, she, she's got like a, a, a left arm as a stump now. Miso on fries with that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's not on roller skates. That would be fun. Oh, that could be good. Uh, yeah, and then um, you get the posse arriving and Ben retreating into the cellar. And then you have uh, Darlene Davis of Channel 7 News interviewing Reverend Hicks. And Darlene Davis uh, is played by Debbie Rochon. Oh, no kidding. Who is in a bunch of trauma movies and wrote for Fangoria. And she was a model for Dave Stevens. Ah, just met her the other, well, about a week ago. Really? Yeah, she was at the convention. Um, we might get an interview with her so we can ask her about okay, this. Okay, cool. Yeah, and she, she does a good job. If I had known, um, I, would have asked, I would have asked her for an interview right then and there. Let me waste some of your time, lady. I mean, it's pretty brief what, you know, she's just playing a reporter. And, 
and then the reverend gets to do all the speechifying. Oh, and of he's saying uh, it's like the flood, and and you see in the background zombies getting shot in the cemetery, and then uh, uh, this cemetery zombie bites the reverend on the cheek, um, and gets shot. Now, uh, and then it cuts back to the posse reaching the house from the original movie. Okay, and then Ben is Ben is shot, and then it goes to Ormsby Medical Center one year later. And uh, at this point in the tape, it was 54 minutes in, so you know how much has been cut out of the original to fit all this in. Oh, okay. Um, And Darlene Davis interviews Hicks again. Uh, His bite is healed. He says he has chosen the zombies are possessed by demons. Uh, Spike the dead to prevent them from rising before Judgment Day. And he has this dog, Moshu, who's played by Moshu. uh, It's it's not a split dog? In his lap, and it's it's acting as a kind of uh, mind canary. So in case he turns zombie... The first thing he's he's going to bite will be this poor little dog. <laughs> oh no! Uh, but anyway, he, he he doesn't, as far as you see. And then it cuts back to the fire and the end credits from the original. The, wow, so. that sounds like a bunch of terrible ideas. <laughs> Did you think so watching it? Yeah, it's really bad. It's okay, really bad. don't don't bother with it. All right, because I remember watching that initial scene, and okay, that that. Um, the minister or pastor, whatever he is, didn't ring true to me because in the day, those guys like in the late sixties would not have a shaved head like Anton LaVey. Mm-hmm. He's the, got he's got a really manicured mustache. Yeah, I mean he looked like the first thing I thought when I saw him was, oh, it's Anton LaVey. Right. Come on now, and uh, he would have had a clean shaven face and a nerdy as possible hairdo, and that's how the clergy would look back then. So, you know, careful on the remix, guys. But yeah, all that other stuff sounds yeah terrible. It's a money grab. But <laughs> but yeah, I mean, um, like a, the, there was like a the flesh eater movie. So that was like a movie made by the guy who played the first zombie. <laughs> right. That's right. And that had a sequel too. So there's like this Night of the Living Days is a is a subgenre to itself. Yeah. So there's a whole lineage to be explored here. Yeah. Well, all in all, I I guess we all agree that. That uh, the original untampered with, unless you're restoring it, but the original untampered with, or the remake, as maybe it got tampered, much to Tom Savini's chagrin, are both totally watchable, mm-hmm. totally recommendable. And uh, I don't think we have to pick a winner. I think they're both winners in their own ways. You're both winners. <laughs> <laughs> you, everyone gets a trophy, Will. Yes. <laughs> Get in the minivan. We're going for pizza. Sounds good. All right. Well, uh, again, uh, we thank the Moonrays for the intro creature features at the beginning of the show. Uh, you can find the music at themoon-rays.com. And the Living Deads, appropriately, will be our outro music. So, Shit Men Say to Symphony is the name of the song. Uh, you will recognize the chorus if you've heard it before live or on CD. Um, you look like a monster is kind of the chorus of that one, which I was thinking about using on its own, but the whole song is so awesome. We're going to play it now. Thank you for listening. Stay off the moors, and we'll catch you next time. Bye. Got a ass like a onion, make a motherfucker wanna cry. Oh shit, it come my wife.
Get away from me. You look like a monster.